having questions come in from perhaps people who don't know about Jesus, who are not yet at the point of putting their trust in Christ. And so that's where we're going for the next couple of weeks. Okay, you with me? Great. Let me ask you, who, oh, sorry, on the back of your piece of paper when you came in is an outline, a place for you to take notes, write down questions, and at the very end of the night, when Lauren gets up to talk about our connection form, our online connection form, that is where you can ask your questions. I got a, a couple of really great comments from this morning um, and look forward to having your comments, questions from tonight. But that's to help you, to help you know where we're going, take notes and ask questions. So who can we trust? The last three years in particular, but I mean it's been going on for a while, the last three years have seen numerous crises of trust. And part of the crisis of trust is actually the burgeoning number of voices that, that clamour for our attention. Different experts have different opinions on things, and then politicians have different ideas again, your friends have different ideas, and then those most erudite of people, Instagram influencers, have their ideas. So how do you navigate in this world where there are so many voices coming at you all the time? Well, of course, social media tries to do this, help you, help you by using their algorithms. Oh, I just love that. that. That's magic, isn't it? Algorithms, it's just magic. Um, but algorithms to show you the sorts of things that you're already interested in. Thus cutting down this jostle of ideas competing for your attention. But in the end, what it does for us, it, it creates this sort of echo chamber where we are left unchallenged in a world where when, when we look around ourselves, when we listen, all we hear is, well, what we already thought. So the question, who do you trust? Would you believe, and I know it's going to be hard, would you believe that once upon a time, people sort of trusted politicians? I know that's hard to believe. It sort of sounds like a little bit of a fairy tale, doesn't it? But there was such a time. Even, may I suggest, over the past few years, by and large, during this whole COVID business, we trusted Gladys, we trusted Kerry, we trusted Brad as they got up and, and spoke to us every day at 11am. There's a little bit of me, I don't want COVID to come back, there's a little bit of me that sort of misses it. You know, it's weird, I know, I'm weird, it's okay. But when it comes to spiritual things... Where do we turn? Who do we turn to to trust? When it comes to living our life morally, who are our influencers? And if we want to understand anything about God, what do we do then? When it comes to spiritual concepts, you know, ethics, religion, God, so much of our world asserts that everything is relative. It's just a matter of opinion because there's no absolute truth about it. Believe whatever you like. Everything is equally valid. That's because religion, God, are not matters of fact, but matters of opinion. Thus, it must be everyone can have their own opinion. Everyone can have their own truth if you want about religion and God and we end up in a world where we can't know any of these things for sure 
We can't know about God for sure. So how can you know God? That's a really important question to ask. That's point two on our outline. How can you know God? And the answer to this question may well change our life because if there is a God and if he can be known, it means that spiritual matters are no longer a matter of just opinion. They are rights and there are wrongs about things. Let me give you some examples. If there is a God, I'll just postulate for a moment, if there is a God and I believe there is no God, that is, I am atheist, then I'm wrong. No longer a matter of opinion. Or, let me put it another way, if there is a God and I believe that we can't know him, then that is agnosticism, then likewise I am wrong if God is there and can be known. It also sort of raises questions about other religions. How do we think about other views on God? Are there, as many say, one true, one God worshipped in different ways? You know, there's this sort of amorphous God behind everything that everyone worships in his own or her own little ways. Are some or all of them wrong? Well, it must depend on what God is like and how we know him. So how can we know God? Well, it depends what God is like. If God is a force, you know, feel the force, Luke, then the force type of God would be someone that you know by feeling, I guess, by experiencing, or perhaps like Luke and Yoda do, by manipulating it in this powerful sort of way. Or if God is a philosophical concept, then you may know God by rationality, by working it out. And you go along to first-year philosophy at a university and they show you why the God that they construct in their class doesn't exist because he's just this philosophical concept. However, if God is a person, you need to know him as you would a person. Well, what is, what is a person like? You can pick up some fairly unimportant things by examining their physical appearance, but how do you get to know them? Now, I want you, everyone, eyes on me. Nobody looking down. Everyone's got to look at me because you've got to concentrate. Just, I know it's not a very pretty sight, but do it anyway. Um, look at me just for a moment. I want you to try and work out by looking at me and by reaching out, by feeling the force, whatever. What is my sister's name? Hmm, that's a hard one. Really look at me close. Can you see it's sort of written on me somewhere? Or How would you find out? You could go to the phone book, well, if there was such a thing as a phone book anymore, of course. Uh, but she's married. She's changed her name. She doesn't want to be related to me. Well, she does. But, uh, but before you try just guessing, it's definitely lot Lisa. <laughs> what? Here's another one. Look at me again. What is my favourite colour? Green. Because I'm wearing it. Now, this morning I wasn't. And so people didn't come up with green. But try and experience me to know what my favourite colour is. I've got black pants on, I've got black shoes on. I'm not going to tell you about my underwear. 
I've got a green T-shirt. I had a white shirt this morning. I had a blue jacket. I had got a blue jacket over there. You can't know people by just sort of trying to reach out in your head and, and work something out. How do you get to know people? And you talk to them. You communicate with them. Communication is essential. It's the very lifeblood of relationships. If you don't communicate, you don't find out. You don't learn about people. You don't get, get places with people. You can only learn about someone if they tell you about themselves. Some of you know me a little bit about what I think about various ideas and topics. You know that I love maps if you've been here for anything more than a few weeks. Some of you know about my family, my wife who comes in the morning church. And I may tell you that my favourite colour is chartreuse. And then you know, right? That's something you've learnt. Now, you might not have known what chartreuse is, but you would know my favourite colour if I was telling the truth. Now you have to work it out, don't you? It is possible to know God. It is possible especially if he is a person. That is, if he has his personality, if he has loves and hates and desires and relationships. And, and you know what? That's exactly what Jesus does for us. Let me read John 14, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I thought it was very, very rude of the Archbishop of Canterbury to steal my text on Monday night, but I got over it quickly. And here we are. I am the way, says Jesus. What way? What what way is he talking about? The way to a better life? The way to a better holiday? The way to a better feeling about things? The the way to lunch? I mean, what sort of way is he talking about? Is it the way to clean up politics? Well, maybe nobody has that answer. What does he mean? He means that he is the way to knowing God. Look at verse 9 in chapter 14. He says, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now, the Father is Jesus' way of talking about God. But he's not saying that we see God in the visual sense. We don't look at Jesus and say, well, God is a, you know, a Jewish man of about 30 years old who is about yay high and weighs so much and all of that sort of thing. He's not talking about that because John 6, Jesus says, John 6, 46, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father because God is invisible. So Jesus is showing us the Father some other way. We can't see God with our eyes any more than we can see the air we breathe on a clear day. See, it's not seeing in that sense. It's not this physical resemblance. He shows us God in his character. Another way the Bible puts it is like this, Hebrews 1. The Son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. See, Jesus is like God. He's like him in his being, in his personality, in the things he's on about, the things he's concerned for, the things he's passionate about. And when you say that a child is like their parent... 
son like the father or the daughter like the mother or the other way around. You don't necessarily mean physical resemblance all the time. Often you do. But you don't always mean it. There are aspects of personality that you can see reflected in a child that are from the parent. Now, I've got to admit, every time I look at my, my grandson, Nate, I think of my daughter, Erin, at his age. And every time I look at my grandson, Micah, he doesn't look like his father, but every aspect of his character is just like his father. He's nerdy, he's... You know, he gets lost in his little world and all of that sort of stuff. He's just like his father. And if you're perhaps on the younger end, closer to, you know, closer to 20 than I am, which is most of you, uh, if you're on the younger end, how sick are you of being told that you're just like your mum and dad? Gets on your nerves a bit after a while, doesn't it? Anyway. But Jesus is, is claiming something quite remarkable here. He's claiming that he reveals God to humanity. That if we want to find out what God is like, then we only have to look at Jesus. Now, that is a big claim, isn't it? But it's actually even bigger than that. It's more than just an issue of seeing Jesus and so seeing God. He's not just like this divine photograph going on. It's about relationship. If we know Jesus then we know God. If we have a relationship with Jesus, then we have a relationship to God. Our relationships, our understanding, our attitude to God all depend on our attitude to Jesus. And Jesus is claiming exclusivity here. He is not a way to God. He is the way to God. He's not just one of many ways of knowing God. He's quite explicit. No one. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to know God unless they come to that knowledge, that relationship through Jesus. Now, it's true. Humans can't by themselves cope with communicating with God. That's just not possible. God is so far beyond and above and and we are so inadequate. We can't do it. But the good news is that God can communicate reliably with us because, after all, he is God and he can do things like that. And God has reached down into this world, into our world, in Jesus. Do you see what he says in verse 10 of chapter 14? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Jesus is telling us about his unity with God, of his personal identification with God. One way to to know God, sorry, our way to know God, is Jesus. Jesus is God come on earth in human form. Or as Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 1, he says... For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. What a statement that is. The whole fullness of God, everything that that is communicable, if you want, everything that you can know about God is known in Jesus. His whole fullness in him. Any other conception about God 
is at best a misconception and at worst a deception. And however you look at it, it's not a proper representation of the God who is there. There is this identity of person between Jesus and God and Jesus himself says that this happens in two ways. Firstly, he says the things that God says. His words are the very words of God. It's not just his opinion, not just his idea and that's again in verse 10. We read it just then. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. See, the words of Jesus just aren't his own words. They are the words, the works of God himself. Jesus and God are in such unity that their words are the same. They think the same thoughts. They they say the same things. You can't actually split them at this point. If you want to see God, if you want to know God, if you want to hear God, look at Jesus, listen to Jesus. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian here today, there is no other way to know God. Listen to Jesus. Read his words. Ask him to open them to your heart and your mind. And as a believer, God has opened the way to friendship with him by communicating with us, by giving words that Jesus passes on to us. But second, it's not just words it's also actions jesus always obeyed god he always had this great relation this good relationship with god they never had fights they never bickered there were no times where jesus told god to get off his case or go to his room and sulk or whatever like there was none of that going on between them jesus always did the things his father wanted him to do without complaining In particular, Jesus did something that his father told him to do that I know very few sons would do. He died. God planned for him to die. It was God's will for Jesus to die. Was that so that we could see what God was like? Well, yes. But there's actually much more to it than that. It really was to make it possible for us to be friends with God. Because we're all inbuilt naturally from birth, hostile to God. Now, we're hostile, we may not be outwardly, but we don't want God in our lives. Because we want to be God. We want to make our decisions. We want to call the shots. We want to be independent and on our own and stand on our own two feet. All of us do. And and that hangs over in our life even after we've put our trust in Jesus. There are bits of us that fight against God in that way. And that needs dealing with. It needs someone to come along and say, this can be dealt with, this can be taken away, this can be paid for. The natural tendency we all have to... Be independent of God is so ingrained with us. But it wasn't so for Jesus. He was always obedient to God. Jesus does things God wants. He shows us God. And in no uncertain terms, Jesus is claiming to be God. 
And not only that, but the only way to know God. And that only really has any meaning or weight if he truly is God. So, in a very real sense, what we've just done is we've come face to face with God. And when we come face to face with God, he demands a response from us. You know why? Because he's personal. If he's just a column, a column doesn't demand a response. But a person in front of you, a person bringing these sorts of things, demands a response. What do we think about Jesus? Most people I've ever met have some opinion about who Jesus is. They've come to it somehow. There is some sense that they've heard something and made some sort of decision either to just ignore it, to put it to the side or to, you know, it can't be true or whatever it might be. But the really astounding thing is that I've found in all my years is that almost nobody has actually done the work of trying to find it out, to really find it out. They played mind games. Nobody's gone to the Bible and and found out what it says about him, found out what Jesus says about himself. So few of us as adults in our world have actually read any significant part of the Bible and yet so many of us have made up our minds about rejecting Jesus or he's not relevant to me or he's, he's someone else's issue, right? Do you see what that means? What that means is that many of us have made the most important decision in all our life, our decision about God, based on hearsay. On what our parents told us, or what our peers said over lunch one day, or or based on the media, or even worse, based on the movies. And if you are a believer, how much do we try and avoid what God says by not listening to God? to not listening to his word and trusting him, knowing that he knows better than we know. Are there parts of the way we think about ourselves or our lives that are actually more informed by our culture's values than the word of God? I'll leave that for you to think about. But what do we think about Jesus? And why do we think it? Now, perhaps... Perhaps we can just write it off, as I've suggested, and say, hey, he's a myth, right? It's just a story all made up. I, I remember speaking to a bunch of medical students, supposedly intelligent medical students, at, don't laugh too much, St George Hospital, many years ago now, and one of them in the room with us said, ah, oh, all this Jesus stuff, it was all made up in the 16th century. Nothing about Jesus happened before that, it was all made up in the 16th century. I said, really? How do you know that? And he said, because I was told. I said, well, here's the evidence. You know, here's manuscripts. Here's history. Here's... Really, he said. So it wasn't just made up in the 16th century. No, maybe you should read it and find out. But maybe, maybe it was all made up. Or I know of someone who try, some people who try to argue that Jesus is a con man. He's one of those people who's out to deceive people, even so clever at deception, he deceives himself about who he is. There's a real possibility too that he's a megalomaniac, a crazy person. I've been in hospital situations where I've met people who have said, I am Jesus Christ. I sort of worked out pretty quickly they weren't, but 
they claim it. Or then again, he may be just who he said he was. The one who shows us God. The one who is so identified with God that we can know God when we know him. Now, I reckon only two of those are realistic options. He could be mad. You need to read it, find out. See if he does the actions of a madman, says the things of a madman. Or he could be who he says he is. But don't just believe what I say. Look at the evidence. Look at the Bible. Read the four accounts of his life. See for yourself what Jesus is like. Does he sound like a crazy man? Or does he sound like he has delusions that he can't back up? Or does he seem frighteningly sane? And it's just not enough to believe whatever you want to believe and be sincere. You know, that idea that's so common now, just be true to yourself. Man, if I could throw out every movie that has that nowadays, I think I'd have almost no movies left. Sincerity is not sufficient. Sincerity gets us nowhere in and of itself. It may get us sincerely lost. I remember standing in the middle of Christchurch when I was 19 years old with my best friend at the time. We'd been hitchhiking in New Zealand. Christchurch was the last place we were. We got in quite late at night. We were looking for the youth hostel so that we could go and have, you know, kip for the night and spend the next couple of days in Christchurch before we went home. And we had gotten off the train and we were walking the streets. We, I mean, in a way that only 17, 18-year-old guys can do, we'd hitchhiked all around New Zealand with guitars. <laughs> Here we are. Not just backpacks, but guitars, both of us. Crazy we were. Anyway, we... There we are, and we were having this ding-dong fight over which way to go. Was it this way or this way? Dave wanted to go this way, and I wanted to go that way. And we really had a ding-dong argument for at least five minutes, getting so... Fr- now, we'd been with each other three weeks full-time. We, we, needed, we needed space. But nonetheless, we had this big argument. And in the, in the end, I said, well, Dave, if you're so clever, how do you know it's that way? He says, because there's the sign. But I was sure it was that way. I was so deeply sure it was that way. I would have just walked off. But you see, I was sincerely wrong. Faith or belief is not made real by sincerity. It's made real by what you put your faith in. It doesn't matter how weak your faith is. If the object is reliable, then your faith is okay. Um, A better word than faith is trust, because faith brings up all these other things for us. Trust depends on its object. When you walked in and you sat down, did you examine your chair? Did you you get underneath it and check out the welds on on these ones? Or if you're in one of the old pews, did you get in there and check for the wood rot or the little crawlers or whatever? Crawlers, everyone's moving now, right? Uh, Did you do that? No, of course you didn't. You just came in and sat down, didn't you? You trusted the people who put them together, foolish people. You trusted the the pews. When you walked in, did you look and think, is this place going to fall down? Of course you didn't. Now, there are bits of it that are going to fall down, but I won't tell you about that now. But, like, it's... You don't... You just trust all the time. All the time. And the worth of your trust is not about how strong or weak it is, but what you're putting it in. 
and real faith is shown in the way that we act. Now, if Lawrence has walked over there, she's about to walk back over here and call out, there's a fire in the building. Right? She's not. There is no fire in the building. Don't. But think about the reaction. What do you do then? If you stay sitting where you are, you do not believe what she's just said. Because if there's a fire in the building, you want to be out of the building, don't you? If you really thought that was true. Our actions reveal where our trust is. And vice versa. To have real faith means that it will produce changes in us. It means changing the way we think and the way we act. Jesus is asking you to come to God. To see the true God through him. So if you are a believer, what things influence your life? What things that shape your decisions that are not the words of God in Jesus? How are we stepping away from God and into faithlessness? Because we don't study the scriptures and we don't bring things to God in prayer because we do not have a life of love shaped and impelled by coming to God only through Jesus. But if you're not a believer yet, and you're listening to this wherever you are, sitting here or sitting in YouTube land in six years' time or wherever it is that you come across this now, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about this claim that Jesus makes, that he is the way to God, the only way to God, the only true way of knowing who God is, of relating to God? Will you take the time and the trouble to find out what he says, to read the gospel accounts. But whatever, don't stay in ignorance of what Jesus says. Because what he says, if it's right, changes all of life and all of eternity. If you want to find out more about this, we would love you to reach out to us by using the connection forms. It's not here, it'll be up on the screen in a while the connection forms, and asking questions, asking for help, saying, I'd like to know more, whatever it might be. Love to hear from you. Please do that later. But don't stay in ignorance. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may we see with real clarity the invitation that you are making to us to know you, the God of the universe, through Jesus. Open our eyes to the reality of what he shows us about you. May we trust in him as the only way to come to you and by doing so, knowing the truth and being given real life. Thank you that in Jesus, that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. Amen.